you have your Bibles with you, open them with me to the book of Acts chapter 15. The book of Acts chapter 15. Have you ever had a close friendship with somebody? I mean really close. And that friendship lasted for a good long while. And then, for some reason, the friendship split apart. You ever had that happen to you? You remember how it felt? What happens when friends part ways? In Acts chapter 15, we're going to see what to me is an amazing part of the whole book of Acts story. The book of Acts tells the, the history of the early church, its birth and then how the church began to grow in spite of persecution and spread from Jerusalem through Judea to Samaria to all parts of the known world at that time. But in the middle of that story, there, there were two, I mean, inseparable or seemingly inseparable friends who had a major falling out. One, one of the person's name was Joseph. The other person's name was Paul. And it's an amazing part of the story. If you're just reading through Acts, just kind of haphazardly, just reading through it, not missing any verses, but just reading through it, and you come upon this chapter and this story, it's a little bit of a pause. Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas. Now, understand this. Barnabas is a nickname. The guy's given name, what his mother and daddy named him when he was born, is Joseph. Barnabas is a nickname that they gave him. It means the son of encouragement. In other words, they nicknamed him the encourager. So sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, the encourager, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now look at verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." A major following out, falling out. Now, let me give you a little bit of history about uh, Barnabas and Paul. We, we first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. Uh, the writer of Acts uh, was a guy by the name of Luke. He was a medical doctor. He accompanied Paul some of the time on Paul's second and third missionary journeys. Luke is writing, and in Acts chapter 4, at the end of it, he gives a summary of what is happening in the early church. And I'm going to read beginning with verse 32. The slide will begin at verse 36. But listen to this. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, 
the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to the, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what that verse tells us is that, that early in the church's history, you have some pretty godly people who are totally sold out to the Lord. One of them is this fellow by the name of Joseph, who the disciples nicknamed Barnabas. He was a godly man, and he not only was godly in word, but he was godly in his, in his actions, He was constantly encouraging people, not just one or two people, but he was constantly encouraging, especially young believers. And and, and even more than that, he was constantly encouraging people who nobody else wanted to have anything to do with. He was a lover of the underdogs. And so he was encouraging people. Not only that, he he, uh, served God with his possessions, with his finances, I'll tell you, if you really want to know where a person stands with God, look at their checkbook and their credit card statements, and you will see readily whether God is really number one in their lives. Barnabas' checkbook statement and his credit card statement, if he'd had one, it readily showed that Jesus Christ was number one in his life. Now, we first meet Paul in Acts chapter 8, except in Acts chapter 8, he's not called Paul, he's called Saul, and he is a terrorist. He is like the Al-Qaeda version of someone who is opposed to the church, and he is destroying churches, he is killing Christians, he's, he's threatening uh, persecution for every Christian in the early church. And he's going about his way persecuting the church, and the Bible says that on his way to Damascus with letters of authority to persecute the Christians in Damascus, he is confronted by a vision of the Lord. And it's such a real vision for Saul that he ends up giving his life to the Lord. Here is this this, uh, number one persecutor of the church who suddenly is confronted by the Lord, is converted to the faith in Christ, and he becomes the the number one soldier in the battle for spreading the gospel of Christ. When we look at verse number uh, ch- uh, chapter uh, 9, beginning with verse 26, we see that Paul, after he has been saved, he goes to Jerusalem. And he wants to meet with Peter and James, the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Now think about this. Imagine if there was a person in Palmetto who is widely known for targeting and killing members of Palmetto Baptist Church threatening us only because of our Christian faith. And we hear that this person has had a real experience with the Lord and given his life to the Lord, and he lets us know that he wants to come with some of his colleagues to church one Sunday. And they call us. Well, all of a sudden, we're not so sure about his salvation. We're not so sure that he's real. This could be a ploy just to get in here so he could just... uh, go on a rampage against everybody who's in church on a Sunday morning. So Peter and James and the apostles, they don't accept him. They're afraid of him. 
And look at what happens in chapter 9, beginning with verse 26. When, when Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But look at this. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul, Paul, stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, as time goes on, you continue reading in the book of Acts, what you see is that Paul and Barnabas become well-respected within the church. They become so respected that uh, when a love offering is, is received for the church at Jerusalem, because they're having a recession, all of the churches choose Paul and Barnabas as the ones to take uh, this offering to Jerusalem. But not only that, we see that the Holy Spirit chooses, chooses Paul and Barnabas to be leaders in the church. Now look with me at, at Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. During uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, what, what you see here is that the church is sending Barnabas out, and then Barnabas is going about. Paul has gone back to his hometown in Tarsus, and what, is, what does Barnabas do? He goes down to Tarsus to find Paul, to bring him with him in the ministry. That's in chapter 11 and verse 25. Now, look at chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders. By whom? By Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul becoming well-respected leaders in the church. Now, Acts chapter 13 tells us that Barnabas and Saul are identified with prophets and teachers. The two of them then get picked by the Holy Spirit to start a mission journey, which will end up being Paul's first missionary journey. Look at Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord, the Lord, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work which, to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And notice this, John was with them as their helper. Now, John Mark is a relative of Barnabas. He's a young man. He grew up in Jerusalem. When Paul and Barnabas decided to go on this first missionary journey to start churches in southern Asia, Barnabas said to Paul, he said, I'd like to take my, uh, my relative... Mark, John Mark with us. And Paul said, great, let's go. So John Mark starts with them. They get about a third of the way into the journey. Acts chapter 13, verse 13 says, From Paphos, 
Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where, now look at this, John left them to return to Jerusalem. Very important phrase there. John left them to return to Jerusalem. In other words, they got about a third of the way into the journey. John Mark says, for some reason, hey, I've had enough of this. I've got to go home. I'm homesick, whatever. And he goes back to Jerusalem, leaves the group. Now, nothing else, uh, nothing more is said about why he returned home. And then you skip over to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 tells us that Barnabas and Paul, after after starting all these churches in southern Asia, they returned back to the church in Antioch, which was their headquarters, to give a report. Then they go down to Jerusalem, and they spend time at a conference there, and they come back up to Antioch, spend some time back in Antioch, and then Paul says to Barnabas, he says, let's go back and let's go see how our churches are doing. Acts chapter 15, verse 35 says, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Then Paul says, Let's go back to the churches. Let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, That's a great idea. Let's do that. And here's what he says again. He says, And I'd like to take John Mark with us. And Paul didn't think that was a good idea. He says, No, I don't think we need to take John Mark with us. We took him the first time. We went about a third of the way in the journey. He turned around and he went home. He refused to continue with us in the journey. Don't think we should take him. Barnabas says, yeah, I think we should take him. Paul says, no, we're not going to take him. Barnabas says, Paul, we're going to take him. Paul says, over my dead body. The argument got so heated that these two, up to this point, inseparable friends, parted ways. They parted ways. Now, listen carefully to this, ladies and gentlemen. From Acts chapter 8 all the way through Acts chapter 15, these two guys were with each other all the time. They traveled all over South Asia. They traveled to Jerusalem. Together they stood up before the church to say Gentiles ought to be included in the family of God if they receive Christ by faith. And here they are parting ways over the issue of whether or not to take John Mark with them on the second missionary journey. Now get this. We never hear from Barnabas again. The Bible says that Barnabas took John Mark. He sailed to Cyprus. Paul took a fellow by the name of Silas and they go up through southern Asia and check on all the churches. We never hear from Barnabas again. Now Paul, in some of his letters... We'll refer to Barnabas, but if you look at those places where he refers to Barnabas, he talks about experiences they had during the first missionary journey. Not any experience after they parted. They never traveled together again, ever. It's a very tragic thing that happened, but from this experience, I think we can... We can look at this and, and we can ask the question, what, what, what does this story tell us about when friends part ways? How does it impact them? How does it impact their families? How does it impact the witness of the church? And there are a couple of three things I want to say to you in this message about when friends part ways. Because this is a serious issue 
within the umbrella of, of thinking about friends in general. When friends part ways, especially in a church, there are some major things that happen. The first thing I want you to notice is this. When friends part ways, people find someone to blame. People start playing the blame game. Now, I look at this, and one of the first things I want to do is, well, who is to blame? Was Barnabas to blame, or was Paul to blame? If you look at the passage in chapter 15, beginning with verse 36, you look at it very carefully, it appears that the believers in the church at Antioch sided with Paul and not Barnabas. The reason I say that is because it says after they separated, Barnabas took John Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul took Silas and sailed to the area of Southeast Asia, being commended by the believers and sent through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it appears that they were siding with Paul. Maybe they saw something that caused them not to side with Barnabas, but it appears that in the blame game, they were blaming Barnabas, not Paul. It appears that Luke may have done the same thing. If you notice this, from this point forward, you don't hear anything more about Barnabas. In fact, from chapter 15 on out, all you hear about is the Apostle Paul and his, his missionary journeys, the struggles that he faced, the imprisonments that he faced, the torture that he sometimes faced, the people that he won to Christ and the churches that he started. Luke follows Paul. Now, that doesn't necessarily say that Luke sided with Paul against Barnabas, but it may indicate that Luke felt that Paul was in the right by insisting that, that uh, John Mark not go with them uh, on this journey. Now, I was looking at this, and I blame Paul. I think Paul was to blame. I think he was, he was showing a very unforgiving spirit. I think he was showing an unwillingness to give somebody a second chance, to give an underdog another opportunity. I also think he forgot about some things. You remember, as we read earlier, that if it weren't for Barnabas reaching out to Paul, he would have never, we'd have never even read about Paul. Had Barnabas not taken Paul to the, to the apostles in Jerusalem and said, hey, I know he used to be a terrorist, but now he's a powerful man of God. They wouldn't have accepted him. Then, when Barnabas decided to start ministering at Antioch, had he not traveled down to Tarsus and, and gotten Paul and brought him back, then we wouldn't even have heard of an apostle Paul. It seems to me that Paul has forgotten some things that were done for him. Now, some folks have a problem with that, and I'll tell you why. Because they think that Paul is divine. I mean, they won't say it, but they think, oh, Paul could not have made a mistake here. Well, I believe he did. I believe he made a mistake. I believe he should have been willing to take John Mark with him. But you know what really, what really is true? It doesn't matter who's to blame. In fact, assigning blame is usually one of the worst things we can do. It, it produces no good benefit whatsoever. But when people, friends, part ways, it seems that we start the blame game. People find someone to blame. Let me tell you something else. Secondly, when friends part ways, there is collateral damage. There is collateral damage. Barnabas and John Mark left. That impacted, impacted them and their families. Paul and Silas leave for Syria and Cilicia. That impacted them and their families. It impacted the church at Antioch because the church at Antioch, it seems, had to choose sides between the two. It seems that it impacted Luke. Luke had to choose sides. And even as we read it, like I said, 
If you read it carefully, you may be inclined to choose a side. There's collateral damage. I'll tell you, this is a serious issue, ladies and gentlemen. Every church I've ever been a part of, I was with my dad, as I told you last week, for uh, seven or eight different churches. Now he's pastored 11 churches and then three churches on my own. Every time friends part in a church, there's collateral damage. More often than not, if two, if two friends, two or more friends in a church part ways, what, you happen is, what happens is you lose one or more of those people in the church. It's almost like, hey, if I can't get along with him or if I can't get along with her, I'm not going to have anything to do with the whole church. It happens whenever a married couples divorce. I tell you, any time a married couple in the church divorces, you will lose at least one, at least one half of that family, if not the entire family. It, it, it has collateral damage when friends part ways. The church is impacted. Family members are impacted. Other friends are impacted. And the friends, unchurched friends, are impacted. Imagine if you are a, a married couple and, and uh, during the course of your marriage, you, you have friendships with several other married couples and they love both of you. And all of a sudden you part ways, you and your husband, you and your wife, you and your spouse, you part ways. What are those friends going to do? Who are they going to be friends with? How are they going to be able to react? It's going to be very awkward for them and awkward for you. You see, when friends part ways, it has collateral damage. The third and final thing I want to say to you is that when friends part ways, reconciliation is the toughest and best solution. It's the toughest and best solution. I don't know, and technically... The scripture doesn't say whether or not Paul and Barnabas ever reconciled. Doesn't say. I think that's interesting. They must not have been aware of what Jesus said. When Jesus said, love your enemies as yourself. When Jesus said, at one time he said, if you come to the altar to present your gift and you remember that there's something uh, between you and a brother, leave your gift at the altar and go make amends immediately. He says, reconcile with your adversary quickly. Evidently, Paul and Barnabas either didn't know about that or they knew about it and, like so many of us, didn't want to do it. Whatever the case, there is nothing in Scripture that specifically says they reconciled. You know, reconciliation is hard to do. You know why it's hard to do? Because it requires, it requires swallowing your pride, and it requires relinquishing your expectation of restitution. What keeps parting friends from reconciling is, number one, pride and an insistence on restitution. Those two things. You take those two things out of the way, and people reconcile with no problem whatsoever. But it requires swallowing our pride and relinquishing our insistence upon restitution. Now, there is good news here. There is some indication of some kind of reconciliation. The reason we know this is because there are two different places in 
uh, three different places in uh, Paul's writings where he mentions John Mark. Now, he doesn't mention Barnabas, uh, any other uh, contact with Barnabas, but he does mention something about John Mark. When he writes to the church at Colossae in chapter 4, verse 10 of Colossians, he says that Mark is with him at the time he's writing. When uh, Paul writes to one of the church members at Colossae, whose name is Philemon, at the end of Philemon, he tells uh, Philemon that John Mark is with him. In the very last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, he tells Timothy, he says, I need you to come see me. He was in prison. Come see me before winter. Bring my Bible with you. Bring my parchments with you. And bring John Mark with you. For he's helpful to me in my ministry. So there is evidence in Scripture that the Apostle Paul, somewhere along the way, reconciled with John Mark, whom he had insisted not going with him and Barnabas on a second missionary journey. So Paul and John Mark reconciled. Now that may mean, that may imply that Paul and Barnabas reconciled, but we don't know that for sure. Folks, when we talk about friendships, there is a risk to every friendship you have. And that risk is that that friendship will split up somewhere down the road. You have to take the risk that the friendship will last. And what, what often happens in a friendship is we get too familiar with each other. We, we get too familiar with each other. I mean, when you first meet someone and you think, man, they're wonderful, he's wonderful, she's wonderful. It happens in boy-girl relationships, husband-wife relationships. Oh, everything's wonderful. And then the longer you spend time together, the more familiar you get with each other. And all of a sudden you start taking some things for granted. And not only that, you start seeing the wrinkles as well as the good parts. And then the friendship can wear on. It means that you have to be intentional at maintaining the friendship. How many of you who had uh, friends in high school, you still maintain contact with those friends? And the way you do it, I'm assuming, is you have to be intentional in your contact with them. I know some of you have friends living all, all over the place, and there will be maybe a time, one time a year, when you all get together in one place. That's an intentional maintaining of the friendship. Otherwise, it will naturally fade away. You'll still like them, you'll still love them, but you won't have any contact with them for the most part. Now, why is this so important? Very simply this, and I want you to get this. In the Christian faith... The Christian faith is all about reconciliation. Reconciliation is where two parties at odds with each other come together. That's reconciliation. Christian faith is all about reconciliation. Two types. Number one, our reconciliation with God. The Bible teaches that because of our sin, we've been separated from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, he says, Your sins have separated you from your God. Your iniquities have hidden His face from you. We're at odds with God. 
That's the reason Jesus went to the cross, to reconcile us to God. Christian faith is all about reconciling us to God. Then, once we've been reconciled to God, the Christian faith is all about reconciling ourselves to other people. I believe that one of the biggest deterrents to the church growing today, not just this church, but the church as a whole, one of the biggest deterrents is that that Christianity... Christian churches, denominations have splintered all over the place. Why? You, you know what the biggest missions program, I'm talking about church starting program Southern Baptists have? It's not sending missionaries to start churches, although we're doing that at the rate of, of several thousand a year. But you know, you know how most churches are started? You know. Somebody got mad at somebody else. They said, well, I, I, I'm just going to pack up my goods and leave. And they leave and they go about two blocks down the road and they start another church. And then another church starts because they split. That's the way we do it. Why? Because we would rather, we'd rather not pay the price to reconcile with people with whom we are at odds. And it's hurting us. We need to develop friendships, close friendships, and we need to do everything we can to maintain those friendships, to intentionally develop those friendships and build the body of Christ in a way that will not fall away or fall apart. That's difficult because there's something that you're going to do that's going to tick me off. And there's something I'm going to do that's going to tick you off. And you're going to have to make a decision. Do I want to hear that man anymore? I think I'm just going to pack up my bags and go to Raymer or Sardis or North Coweta or Rebecca or somewhere. Rather than reconciliation. Let me tell you, the right thing to do. I realize that we can't always do it. Paul and Barnabas may not have been able to do it. But the right thing to do is to reconcile with those we are at odds with against or at odds with. The Christian faith is about reconciling ourselves to God and it's about reconciling people with people. Now we're about to have an invitation. In this invitation, we do a number of things. First of all, we invite people to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says to have eternal life, you have to have a relationship with Christ. And that begins when we make the conscious decision to receive Christ into our hearts. My question for you all is, have you done that? Have you made that decision? Have you begun that relationship? If you haven't, then when we get up to sing, don't worry about singing. Just move out from where you are and come here to the front. And we will help you to invite Christ into your life. We'll have people who will help you with that. I urge you to think about where you stand with Christ. Now, most everybody in here has already been saved. You've already started a relationship with Christ. But you're at odds with somebody else. There's somebody else who used to be a friend. Maybe they're kind of a friend hanging by a thread. And maybe there's something that you need to do, a commitment you need to make to swallow pride, do away with your insistence for restitution, and make a commitment to God to reconcile that relationship.
This altar is open for you to do that. Maybe you're here and you're not a member of a local church. Listen, the Lord died for His church. And so it is important to the Lord that wherever we live, we seek out and find a church home and affiliate ourselves with that. Not just attend it, but actually become members of that local family of faith. If you're here and you feel like God is leading you to join this church, then during the invitation is the time to come and join. Every worship service is a, an opportunity for life change. Every worship service is a, is a potential, has the potential for changing your life. Whether or not you experience the beginning of life change, whether or not you experience an encounter with God depends not upon God, because He's going to do His part. It depends on you and me. We make the decision. We make the decision. When friends are at odds with each other, getting back together is not just a natural thing that's going to happen on autopilot. Somebody has to intentionally initiate reconciliation. If you're going to have a relationship with Christ, He's not going to force you to do it. It has to be your choice. So, when we stand up for invitation... What are you going to do? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the friends you bring into our lives. Forgive us for the things that we have done from time to time that have alienated good friends from us. Oh Lord, help us to be willing to swallow pride throw away our insistence on revenge or restitution and help us commit to reconciling with our friends. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here who does not have a relationship with you. They cannot point to a time when they intentionally invited you into their lives to be their Savior and Lord. I pray for someone to come to know Christ this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.